0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Apparently, that's become the uh, moniker of this podcast, wherever you are in this world. Welcome again to uh, Two Developers Down Under. It's myself, Mark Mandel, with my cohort and partner in crime, Kai Koenig, coming back to you yet again to give you some interesting ramblings on technology, Cold Fusion, Adobe stuff, and all sorts of other shenanigans. How are you doing today, Kai?
1: I'm doing fine, actually, Mark. How are you? <laughs>
0: well, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, so I'm still awake, which is a good start.
1: Yeah, and again, we are like, you know, 9 o'clock in New Zealand, 7 o'clock in Melbourne, which is quite late for for all recording. Yeah, we, well. We've done worse times, actually.
0: Sure, <laughs> we've, done, we've done 6 o'clock in my morning, which I think it probably explains some of the things I've been saying. So. <laughs>
1: So, should we have a look at the calendar? What happened today?
0: What happened today? The only the interesting one that I found today, Hank Aaron beats Babe Ruth's home run record with 715 runs. It's so his 37th anniversary.
1: Maybe we should, you know, explain that this is baseball, you know, for the people oh, under, who are actually just, you know, into cricket and rugby and stuff like that. <laughs> baseball, that home runs, different game.
0: <laughs> a big bat, uh, different bats, people throw balls. Um yeah, there's three bases rather than run backwards and forwards. I lived in America for a little while, so there's I have some some inference there into baseball. So I suppose there's that. But that's I think that's pretty much the only uh, really interesting thing that happened there that I can find.
1: You actually lived in America? I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I lived in Atlanta from '92 to '95. Oh, really? was a teenager? Yeah. My um, my parents got offered the opportunity. My dad got offered opportunity to work over there, and um. We said yes, packed up the family, moved over, didn't know how long for, and then three years later got off another opportunity back in Melbourne and came back again.
1: Okay, so you lived in Melbourne before as well, before you went to the US? Okay, interesting, cool. Um, The other thing I found today, um, it's the birthday of Justin Sullivan, who is actually um, my personal music rock star hero. He is the lead singer of a band called New Model Army. Um, which is a UK band. They are around for ages, like 30 years or so. And I got into their music when I was a teenager, actually. And I don't know. How long uh, ago was that, Kai? Oh, that's long ago. (laughs) That was probably in the late 80s, actually. I think the first album I got from them was Thunder and Consolation in uh, 1989 or something like that.
0: You're a bit older than me. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, I'm born seventy four. 1974.
0: Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, but anyway, he... Um, I never thought of that, that's alright.
1: <laughs> he's born 1956, which makes him... Let me have a quick calculation... God, he's old. He's fifty. Is is he fifty-five?
0: Yeah, I hope that's not like um, rather insulting to anyone else who's listening, who's possibly over the age of fifty and considered themselves quite young.
1: (laughs) No, the thing is, actually, when you see him and you know he's still doing rock music, he doesn't look like fifty-five at all. Basically, it's like, oh, really? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's
0: brilliant. So, I um, thought we'd, we'd mention again some of the events that are probably coming up in the, or well, they are coming up in the pipeline. Um, so, obviously, we've got, we still have WebDU uh, for, a, for a local event. WebDU still happening 14th and 15th of April, I'm reading here. And uh, I think you're doing something special at the WebDU event, Kai?
1: Yeah, as it turned out, um, Terry Ryan and I are going to run a panel on Fusion and Flash Platform Maria development. Yep. That's going to happen um, on day one in the slot that was originally supposed to you know, be a birth of the feather shlo- slot. Yep. And um, Jeff and the WebDU team basically have converted that to a slot for um, three panels. So there will be one Terry and I am doing on, on CF and, f- and Flash-based VRs. There will be another one on um, cloud computing and video. And there will be oh, cool. a third one on mobile.
0: Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So basically, if you want an opportunity to come down and hassle Kai about pretty much whatever you feel like, I think you should probably head down.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, it would be great if we see as many people of that community or people who are interested in doing something with Flex or Flash or ColdFusion or that whole Adobe technology stack to just come along and, you know, have a chat to us and ask questions or whatever you want, really.
0: Fair enough. The other the other event I wanted to bring up, though a little less uh, close to the australia New Zealand region, SeaF uh, Objective in the US in Minneapolis, Minnesota, is in just over a month away, May twelfth and fourteenth. Um, I've been going to SeaF Objective in the US for whew, three or four years now, something ridiculous. Um, I have to say it's a, it's an absolutely fantastic conference, and if you if you do live in Australia and you're really interested in enterprise uh, Cold Fusion programming, it's it's well worth the trip. Um, but yeah, I bring it up because uh, recently we we talked about the fact that I'm um, actually taking part of the keynote at the conference, which is really exciting. Um, we talked about last week how Adobe's not sponsoring the conference, so there's not going to be an adobe uh, Adobe keynote, which means that basically it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a community a community event for the keynote and uh, I don't know if we've uh, we've been allowed to Announce what we're talking about yet, but I can definitely say my partners in crime. So it's going to be uh, myself, Ray Camden, Jason Dean, and Bob Silverberg. We're all going to be talking about different stuff with uh, the incredibly amusing Scott Stroh's, who is uh, going to be emceeing the uh, the event. Which should be uh, it should be good. It should be good getting a, a wide variety of of community p- perspectives on a variety of topics that should should put together a really good a really good keynote. I'm actually really excited.
1: Those will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the the keynote or other sessions recorded actually at CF Objective?
0: I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Recording stuff at conferences, as well, you know, is a huge technical challenge, and normally not really worth the effort, as far as I can say.
1: Yeah, it depends. I mean, you know, particularly if if we're talking about a first time community keynote, where quite a few of the well known people in the community are actually presenting. Whatever the magic content will be, um, it might be interesting to record at least that session and make it available for a wider audience after the conference. Just an idea. Fair
0: well, if any of the steering committee for safe objective are listening and you want to go ahead and do that, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I also I also got asked. Um, they also do this uh, do a fun thing where uh, they they ran it last year. They call it Pecha Kucha talks. Um, I don't yep. even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, or or I think it's also known as sort of lightning talks, where basically you get you get given a set time frame and each of your slides kicks over at a, at a specific interval. I think it's like twenty seconds or thirty seconds or something like
1: that. Yeah, O'Reilly is doing a similar series of events. Is it O'Reilly Ignite?
0: Yeah, they do an Ignite talk. It's a very similar uh, format. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're looking for more speakers to do that. That's always good fun. I think last year, a guy did a, a talk about beer. Um, another one did a really interesting talk about his dad taking his dad to uh, the Vietnam War Memorial. Um, uh, Charlie Earhart did something about troubleshooting. <laughs> I actually can't remember what he did now. It's okay. Well, Charlie, you'll have to remind me <laughs> if you listen. Um, but yeah, it's always a great time. Um, and if you're kind of looking to get your feet wet, they're doing some, some conference presenting. And in front of people, I think it's a great, it's a great format. There's a lot, you know, it's a short format. It's very structured. So there's not a lot that can really go wrong. So that's always good fun. But yeah, really looking forward to see if Objective MA. I should really finish off my presentations, which I'm really slack about because I suck. What Um, are you talking
1: about actually at the conference?
0: So yeah, obviously doing the keynote as well. I'm going to be talking about Cold Spring 2, which is doing very well. And um, if you do some hunting around the, the Cold Spring project, you might even see how well, but we haven't actually announced anything yet. Um, so that'll definitely be ready ready for for, for public consumption by CF Objective without any, any, uh, any fail. Um, and then I'm also doing a talk, which I've actually done in a few other places, but I'm going to expand on it a little bit. I call it AOP for you and me. So uh, teaching about aspect-oriented programming, sort of going from the ground up going through the theory of Aspect-owned programming, why you'd want to use it and how you'd use it. And then uh, also putting together a whole bunch of examples using Cold Spring 2 and showing you how cool it is to do really easy AOP using that and go into some real-world examples of some places you might actually want to use AOP. Cool.
1: cool. It's quite interesting. The, the whole AOP movement came, came up, in I think, in the mid-90s with Aspect-J and all those tools oh, in yeah. the Java world. Yeah, yeah, And I had for a while, I had the feeling it had died down or no one was talking actively about AOP anymore. But that mm. seems to change again now that, you know, stuff like dependency injection becomes more common.
0: Yeah, I think it kind of goes in cycles as well. But I mean, it's funny. So I look at say so the Spring Project, you're talking about AspectJ and you know look at some of the stuff that they're doing with that. And it, it looks like it's sort of one of those things where people are just kind of just using it. You know, they may not necessarily be using it for a lot of stuff, but it's like if they wanted to do dependency injection on transient objects and stuff like that, you know, Aspect J in Spring is just the easy way of doing it. Some people just book it up and they just use it, and they don't really think about it anymore. So... I think maybe it's maybe died down as, as looking at like Cold Spring 2 actually followed the path of how Spring does AOP with the, its configuration side of things. And as that side of things has become a lot easier to implement, people are just like, oh, yeah, this is easy. I don't really need to worry about it. Cool. I've got aspects. Great. But, you know, what? maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it's just cyclical and people talk about it more and then less and then more and then less.
1: That might well be, yeah. So
0: so yeah trying to to bring aspect owner programming back to the fore because it's I think a really cool programming paradigm that can uh, enable you to do some cool stuff
1: so that's all good stuff
0: so what do you want to talk about next i hand it over to you
1: okay so going through our our list actually we've got a whole bunch of rollover topics yep for you know for the listeners basically what we we have always that intention to talk about lots of stuff and we get lots of ideas and Topic bullet points and links, and then we end up talking about some other stuff and never get to the thing. Really. <laughs> it's true. So in our shared Google document, we ha- I introduced a rollover section now, basically where the old stuff always comes above the new stuff. So looking at that rollover from the last three recordings, basically <laughs> there is quite a few. Um, there are quite a few interesting things in there. Um, the first one is there is a new public bug base. I don't know. Did we talk about that? At all,
0: uh, we touched on it a little bit. The uh, basically the because uh, obviously the new the new confusion Builder two came out. Uh, yeah, Col Builder two beta.
1: Yeah, so with with the release of Col Builder two beta, Adobe also pushed out a new bug base for their product. And confusion Builder two beta is basically the only one using it so far. Yeah. Um, but that bug base looks quite good to me. It's it seems to be definitely more user friendly than the old one was. and the old You mean one, it's not a
0: flex interface?
1: Yeah, I found the... the it it doesn't, have to be, doesn't have to do anything being a flex interface or being an HTML interface. I think the, the flow of the information, you know, the stuff you need to provide to lock a bug, makes more sense in the new bug base, actually. In the old bug base, when you wanted to write an enhancement request, you had to go through, like, gazillions of fields and things that were not relevant, really, and that has become much easier now.
0: I actually haven't used the new one yet. I'm just having a look at it now. It's quite nice. I'd like to see, um, I don't know if they've taken advantage of it or not, but uh, I'd like to see it be a little bit more indexable by Google. I think Mm that would be nice. Because quite often, you know, if you run into a bug or you run into a situation where you're like, ah, this doesn't work, first thing you do, you type it into Google. If the bug base is indexable, then it's going to show up there as well, which makes life a lot easier, rather than having to search in several places. But um, just looking through it, it looks like they've got products on here. We've got Air, the actual bug base itself, Cold Fusion Builder, and something called DCTS, which I don't know what that is.
1: Um, there is Air in there? I didn't even That's know what that. It says. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I, looking at the product dropdown. So maybe, I don't know.
0: Maybe maybe it's expanding.
1: Yeah, maybe they're adding more products to the new bug base, basically, now. Um, what was the other one? DCTS? I have yeah. no idea what that could be. DCTS.
0: I have a vague feeling I heard about that somewhere, and now I don't remember what it is.
1: Hmm, okay. Yeah, but anyway, there is a new bug base. Yeah. The URL is dot Adobe. Com. Yep. And it will be really good to you know finally see all the bug base tools and enhancement request forms, hopefully being unified in this tool at some stage. Yeah,
0: I believe um the old bugs still have to be migrated over. I don't know if they've done that or not.
1: Yeah, that could well be, and you know. It, Probably at some stage they really need to switch off the old, the old one. interface because yeah. it's still. I think it's still available actually.
0: Yeah, I think it is. So if you're going to log bugs against Builder, make sure you do it on this bug base. Yep. So I think that's uh, that's a fair call. Cool. Are you using the uh, new Confusion Builder?
1: Um. Yes. I think we talked about that, didn't we? Did we? Yeah. Okay. I'm using it for quite a while, that's and I'm right. really really happy with it. Yeah. It just um, makes my life easier, my development work, basically, and that that's some sort of the purpose, I think. That's fair enough.
0: <laughs> You're right, we did talk about it. I'm getting old, you know, The brain's not working so much anymore. Yeah, what I, what
1: I find, actually, the more I use it, the more um, little cool gimmicks you you discover. And yeah. I mean, what, one of those, which is not really directly relevant to CF Builder, is, for example, that I run Builder in a full-blown Eclipse installation. In except yep. Helios, so it's really easy for me to install other plugins. So and currently, I'm doing a lot of FuseBox development actually. And then you know, beat me, beat me for it if you like. I don't know. I I still like it. I think it's a it's a framework that you know fulfills a certain purpose and it does that reasonably well from my point of view.
0: Yeah.
1: So, but any anyway, this is what we're doing in that project is basically um, FuseBox with XML files, with XML circuits and XML um, FuseBox. Declarations and um, I to, to make my life easier with the circuit files, I just installed the um, Eclipse Web Toolkit, the WST, because that oh, yeah. has a really really nice XML editor.
0: Are you and, talking about the Web Tools plugin? Yeah, the WTP. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's actually really good.
1: So it has a really nice XML editor, and I tied yeah. it to the um, to the circuit and to the to the fuse box DTDs basically. And now I've got code completion and all the stuff I have in CF Builder, also in working with the XML files, you know? And that's one of those small things that we obviously know because we we use Eclipse a lot. Yeah. And I mean you are the same basically, right? And you do yeah. Java. Yeah. But a lot of people, let's say, who, who work with Dreamweaver for coding, for example.
0: Yeah. May not know about that sort they, of stuff. They they
1: wouldn't know about that stuff, right? It's like yeah. oh you can actually, you know, get code completion for your XML files? Cool, you know, it's like... And, and those things just become possible when you start looking into the Eclipse platform more than just using a tool out of the box. So I can really encourage everyone to yeah. you know, install it. Personally, I'm a big fan of installing um a blank canvas Eclipse and then yeah, putting, putting my own plugins in there and I'm doing exactly yep. that for CF Builder and I do it for Flash Builder or for anything else I use basically no, because I, it gives I agree me normally you, more control it requires a bit of learning obviously but it's I'm, I started doing this with Eclipse 3.2 or something um, going away from you know products to installing a blank Eclipse and then installing the product as a plugin and I'm much more happy with that approach
0: Yep. No, I agree with you. I agree with that 100. Um, percent Probably just to, just even though it's going to be a bit of a segue, I think um, the things I like on um, on Eclipse's plugins, I really like the Eclipse Data Tools platform, um, which is a, another way of basically just accessing your database. Reason I like that is if anyone's used uh, SQL Server Management Studio, I really like the Query Builder plugin that they've got in for that, where you can actually drag and drop tables and build joins, yep. and it mm-hmm. just saves you a lot of time. Uh, Datasource plugin has one of those for any database. So it's just a nice alternative okay. way of being able to access your data and do stuff. So if I'm building a complicated query and I can't bother writing all the joints by hand, I can drag and drop and do all that sort of fun stuff, which is great. I really like that plugin.
1: Oh, that's uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But do you yeah, what do you think of the um the RDS-based data management plugin in Builder?
0: Because <laughs> I don't actually I don't actually use it that much. I've never really digged <laughs> into it too much. It works. Okay. It, it, it
1: definitely works. I'm, I personally have to say I'm not a big fan of RDS in the first place. I think it's some sort of bit of a legacy technology that I would really, I wouldn't really you know, cry if that went away at some stage, to be honest. Fair um, because one of the downsides of RDS is, um, from my point of view, that it allows direct file access to, to the server. You know, yeah, you're
0: only going to do you're only going to do that on development machines
1: oh like yes to totally, it. but you know it's it gives develop if you if you enable r d s it gives developers a way around um you know doing stuff in in a in the right way by going to the file system directly having some sort of a shortcut if they have to you know and avoiding maybe i don't know deployment practices et cetera et cetera
0: Okay, yeah, I'll agree with you on that. You don't, you don't want to be enabling RDS on your uh, on your production machine just to make your life easier for deployment. But
1: I know yeah, people that. who do that, unfortunately. So it's a That's... really, really, really bad habit. It's like production machine RDS is on. Oh, let's just update a few files. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'll I'll pay that. Um... I really actually don't use it. It's actually really funny. But without IDS, it's... I mean, I only actually discovered this a little while ago. If you're doing sort of... It doesn't work 100% of the time, but I've definitely noticed it works quite often. And when it does, it's really nice. So if you're in a CF query block, um, it'll give you code completion on tables and columns. Uh, yeah. Which is really nice. If you can if it can work out what your data source name is, um, it tends to do that quite easily. And it's it's actually... It's very nice. When that works, it's really sweet because um, there's actually, and I don't understand this. I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, where there aren't that many database IDEs that actually do code completion for columns and tables, and it just seems like such an obvious thing to me. But I'd never see it actually implemented anywhere, so or if I do, t- it's really messy.
1: Do we? Are, are we actually talking about RDS based? Coding well, in I'm builder sure. or are we talking about the data plug, the data management plugin? No,
0: like if, if you're if you're if you're um so if you're typing in ColdFusion and you type CF query, so not not, not the data tools plugin. Ah,
1: okay, so we're in, in builder basically. In builder, in yeah, sorry. yeah,
0: Yeah, if you're in CF query and it knows what data source you're in, it'll give you code completion on on tables and um and columns, which is great.
1: Yeah, I've I've read that actually in the release notes. I've never seen that happening, to be fair. Because usually the the data source in that application code is sort of managed very dynamically. Yeah. And then I I never I never actually had it doing code completion. It'd be
0: good. It actually be really good if in your project settings you could be like this is my data source and you just you just specify it in the in yeah, there rather, rather nice. than in it trying to in it trying to. Uh, work it out for you, which would be good. Actually, that'd be really good because it's really nice when it works. No, I was just saying in general, like database IDEs don't tend to actually do that, which frustrates me a
1: lot. Oh, well, I mean, SQL Server Management Studio does it.
0: Does it? Yeah,
1: at least the the version I'm working with, which is 2008 or so. Yeah. It definitely does that, yeah.
0: Okay, I'm doing a lot of work with MySQL these days. I think Navicat does it from what I've told, but it's the only thing I've seen. That actually, does it? Which is which? Seems a bit ridiculous. It seems like it's an it's an easy productivity win. But anyway, that's my rant for the day. Cool. I wanted my rants for the day. <laughs> um, what other plugins do I use? That I really like? Um, oh, you have got to have Milan. Like you've got to. You just, if you yeah, that's just a, a given. Um, I mean, e-get. I get.
1: Yeah, I use the Mercurial H, uh, Mercurial Eclipse plugin, and that works quite yep. well. And That's quite nice. I think that's about it.
0: Those are my my, uh, my favorites. I use eGit a bit just for, for Git stuff, but I use command line for Git more than anything else. It's more there just to, so I can see what files have changed in my IDE more than anything else.
1: Yeah, I, I have yeah. to say I never really got warm with the eGit, EGIT plugin. Yeah, I th- nah. think it's uh, – well, at the time that I looked at it, it wasn't really up to scratch with what I expected a yep. plugin to do for me. And then I just used the command line all the time basically in Git.
0: Yeah, is the command line. I'm usually using. Um, actually, this is on one of our rollover notes. I'm using with with Git. Um, I'm using a really nice little thing called. Well, if you Google search for Git prompt, um, this is if you're on a, probably a Linux or a Mac Mac system, um, which is basically just shell color coding for Git, which is actually is actually really nice. So it if you're in your shell, it actually shows you what what your branch are on. Yeah, um, okay. The hash code, you know, if files have changed, your shell changes, so you'll get red stuff and green stuff depending on what sort of change state it's in. So you can see very, very easily exactly what's going on without having to go git status all the
1: time. Mm, that's nice, actually. I've seen something so, similar, which puts some sort of the branch you're on in your path, so yeah. you know that's or in in your in your shell command path yeah. basically. So that that's one of the things I've seen, but that's actually quite nice as well. I yeah, even yeah. have something for Mercurial apparently.
0: Yeah, I think it does Mercurial and SVN as well. If you're using that from the command line.
1: Ah, cool! I need to look into that.
0: Yeah, it's actually uh, yeah, I'm using it all the time. It's really nice. Um, Yeah, I've got it set up so that basically they they say put it in your Bash script, but I've got it set up so I can just turn it on when I want it, and that's really nice. So yeah.
1: Mm, So. Very interesting.
0: So that was completely segued away from the original conversation. But. Fair enough. But
1: we ticked something else off the roller <laughs> <list>. you, <laughs> Awesome.
0: Which is great. I think that's that's good. I think as long as we get stuff off the list, that's, that's really good.
1: Um, yeah, another topic we've got on that list for quite a while, and that was triggered by a suggestion from Ross Phillips originally, is um, CFscript, yay or nay? <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. That's going back. Okay.
1: That is going back probably you know after the first recording right away or something like that.
0: Yeah, I'm looking, and, at, um, I'm looking at the blog posts. I think they were in February.
1: Yeah, Ben Forda actually wrote a blog post in February, actually, on February 4, um, titled, I am not a fan of CF Script. That's and, right. And I think, I don't know, a lot of people were surprised about that. What's your opinion on CFScript, Mark?
0: I like CFScript a lot. Um, it's got its place. It's an interesting one. Um, it's actually a, there was a follow up. Uh, follow up uh, was it follow up or before? I'm just actually looking at dates. February There was a follow up um, post by Tony Nelson, who also who also was complaining that uh, he doesn't like it when people use CFScript to start a CF function and then have a C, Sorry, use use tags to start a CF function and have script inside it just on, immediately afterwards. Um, personally I write a lot of code that way so <laughs>
1: if, yeah, me if, he too, like,
0: if he doesn't like it then he's not going to like any of my uh, any of my open source projects and that's his choice I suppose
1: um, it, it's quite interesting right because it's, it's a pattern I find myself doing quite a lot I hardly ever write a script-based CFC my CFC oh, really? is usually always tag-based you know the CF function is a tag yep. the, uh, Arguments are tags, return is a tag usually, and the component itself is tag based. But then inside the function, I write script code, yeah. and I, I don't know. I can't even you know, can't even tell you why I'm doing it that way. It's just a habit, you know. That's, just a habit. Yeah, that's you know how I write my CFCs usually.
0: It's it's actually an interesting one because you know I think when CF9 came out, I think a lot of us went. Oh, let's all go do, you know, script-based components all the time, that's great, blah, 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 blah. And did that a lot, and um, uh, my major project that I've been working on for a while is, is CF9-based, so we do that a lot. Um, my other big project, obviously, is like Cold Spring 2, which is CF8+, Plus. so I have to use tags. You know, it has to be CF8-compatible yeah. instead of syntax, which at times is a real pain, uh, and it makes me unhappy. But um, <laughs> just little things in CF9 makes life so much easier, but... Um, it's one thing I noticed very quickly um was things like doing CF query, doing CF mail, uh things like that where you've got you've got output strings is so much easier in tags. Yep. Like stupidly easier. And if you're in if you're in a script component, you're stuck. Right. So I what normally happens is I end up writing a like a save component block a safe content block and then doing write outputs inside it so I can do my if statements and all that sort of stuff.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, wow. uh, either that either that, or you've got to do, like, these long string concatenations, right? Yeah. Which is also really difficult. So you kind of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, whereas doing, you know, if we've all done those big, you know, uh, dynamically created queries in, in CF query blocks, you know, that's easy inside tags. But as soon as you sort of jump over into scripts, that can be difficult. Um, So I think there's definitely something to be said for maybe writing components in in tags with internals and script just because then you have the flexibility of doing what you want when you need to do it. Um, But, you know, um, look, at the end of the day... You know, it's kind of whatever gets the job done, as far as I'm concerned. If if you feel more comfortable in one and versus the other, then you know who the hell cares? It's not like there's any interruptibility issues. Um, it's kind of like that age-old argument. You know, do you put your your opening bracket on the same line as the code or the oh, second yeah. line or it's the good. next line of the code? And quite yep. frankly, if you don't put it on the next line of code, then, then you should die.
1: Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> yep, I agree.
0: You actually agree? Oh, totally. It's actually really, oh, really funny because like I'm normally in the minority. I actually really like you know um, a, a, a a, a line break before, you know, the the opening squiggly bracket, and I don't find that many people who actually write code that way. But that was the way I got taught when I was at university, and I always thought it was nice it's, and clean.
1: It, yeah, it's actually way cleaner. You know, you can actually read the code, and you don't have to guess which curly brace belongs to, you know, which closing curly brace and oh, really. Yeah. So Yeah. But I'm i to- I'm sorry. totally with you on that. That's you know, I'm fighting for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which which I quite like, you know, now now we've got the formatter in CF builder too, you know, that's that's handy for me, I'm able to just go change all this code to the way I like it. Yeah. Um which is which is actually really good. So yeah, um it's uh it's a fun one. But yeah i You know what, I've always sort of taken the opinion, as long as you're consistent in the way you write your code and it's readable, who cares? (laughs) Yeah, that
1: that is a fair comment, I think. And, you know, I have no problem working with people in a project, you know, who, for example, write their CFCs completely tech-based. That's fine. You know, I don't have an issue with it. Because as long as I can read it and I can get what they, you know, I can get what they want to do. And, you know change it or, you know, throw it away and redo it or whatever basically. That that's fine for me. I don't really care about that particular issue. Um you know there are so many more important things to worry about, like you know, have has everyone var scoped their local variables and all that stuff. Are you
0: are you unit testing?
1: Or you know, are you unit testing for example? Yeah. Stuff like that, right? So if someone wants to write a CFC in completely in tags, yeah, fine with me. It's you know, yeah. CFML is still a tag-based language in the first place, so you know, yeah. it's the right way to do it anyway. One, so. one of the right way. To another
0: it. another interesting thing. It's it's very interesting. I think I'm just the little things that sort of change as you move from one sort of style to another. I mean, I like the fact that in tag-based, the hint attributes part of CF function and CF argument which just makes it easy yep. to just remember to put those hints in there. I mean, I use snippets anyway to do it, so that's kind of a given, whereas obviously in script-based, unless you've got a snippet or something like that, it's not inherently as, I don't know if obvious is the right word, but inherently is, is, um, you're, you're not as reminded to yeah. put comments on things, so you don't get that automatic documentation, which, which is good, which is really nice. On the um, other hand,
1: you just get that automatic documentation if obviously you use an IDE which supports you know stuff like code hinting and code completion.
0: Well that's not necessarily true. If you're using like say a product like mine like ColdDoc, um or, or, or if you're using like CFC Doc or one of the other um, component uh, documentation uh, libraries, then you know you can automate that sort of documentation coming out quite. Nicely. Oh no, sorry, sorry, that yeah. you,
1: you misunderstood me. I meant basically, you know, you just get reminded to put a hint in there. Oh, in the first sorry, place. yeah, you're right. If you're yeah. in, in an IDE which supports giving you that hint attribute, you know, suggestion in the first place. So if you're whatever coding with ColdFusion Studio 4, it's unlikely that you get any benefit from, you know, having a hint attribute in a tag.
0: Yeah. No, I was actually thinking what would actually be a really nice sort of, I don't know, feature for Builder 2 would be like if you write, if you write a function without a hint, maybe have it as a preference, it actually throws up a warning. You know, you get get that little uh, information box Mm, saying, hey, you didn't write it. You didn't write a hint here. Do you want to do that?
1: And maybe you could make that a setting in your preferences that you can, you know, if you for whatever reason don't want to write hints, that you don't get tested by those little icons the whole time.
0: I'm writing this down. It needs to be entered yeah. as a bug. Enter bug. I'm totally writing this uh, down because I really want that. It's an
1: enhancement request, Mark. It's not a bug. Oh, enter ticket. There you go. <laughs> uh, quick fix. Oh, that's awesome. Life, Life enhancement request. <laughs> Oh, I'm not, no, I'm not, going, to, I'm not going, going to type it in
0: because everyone's going to go here tackity tickety tickety-tackety-tickety-tack. <laughs> um, it's actually harder, I think, as well to get the hints. Like, there's more typing involved to get hints on, say, like arguments and stuff because you've got to an at and then remember the name. Whereas it's, not, it's a little bit when you're when you're doing CF script. But look, you know, if they can if they can fix in builder, and this is what I'd like to see as well where you get co-completion on things like that as well. So you go at and you hit control space and it looks at what your arguments are. Or actually what makes a lot more sense in other type IDEs do it is you'd write your, um, you write your method uh, signature in script and then you go slash, you know, star star, hit enter and it just it immediately just fills out the block yeah. for you, which is always good, and then puts the at for your parameters and just does it all for you, which is really good.
1: Is there actually a... Um called Fusion Builder extension for Cold Dog?
0: Um, You know what? I looked at doing it, but it actually, when you start looking at remote servers, it becomes really difficult, um, which is a whole architecture question. So if you've got, if you've got, how did I, how did I end up doing it? Yeah. So if you've got your extension running in one particular, say a different like virtual host or something like that, um, and then you have code that's in a completely different place, it's really hard to get all the metadata that you need to do. So it's actually really, it's a really difficult thing to actually do. I would love to have that. But generally what I do is I've got an ant task anyway, and it goes off and fires off a CFM file, which runs my cold doc, you know, part of my continuous integration stuff. And then it
1: generates it to some directory, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just generates it. So it's got a, it's just got a thing. And I've got cold doc as a server mapping. So it just becomes part of my build process. So I always have up-to-date documentation. Okay. Actually, at some point, and maybe not today, I don't know if you want to talk about today, I'd like to talk about, I've got, um, I recently set up CF on Tomcat with uh, Jenkins, so doing continuous integration for Cold Spring 2, but I might save that. Maybe we save that for another day.
1: Yeah, that's actually a it's quite a, a nice setup,
0: spring. I think. I was really happy with it, actually. I wish I'd done it a long time ago.
1: You should um, maybe make the um, the virtual machine You've, I assume you've set up a virtual machine for that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe make it available for, sure. for you know people as a yeah. template. Have you thought about that?
0: I would love to. The thing's gigs of size, um, so it's big.
1: Well, yeah, um, I mean, you could host it on you know whatever an Amazon storage service somewhere, and um, yeah. I I just think there are many yeah. people who would love to get into doing something like that. You know, for for a start, running CF on Tomcat. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, having Jenkins set up for ColdFusion and having everything play together. And even if it's, you know, if, it's, if there's just the, the Cold Spring 2 code base in there, that's a starting point for your own stuff, at least. You know, you see how it's all wired together. And I think it would be a really good learning exercise for a lot of people. Yeah,
0: it was fun to, it was fun to play with. Actually, here's a weird question. Where is my VM?
1: <laughs> oh, Mark, I seriously?
0: <laughs> I, I, have it, I have it running. Um, but I just don't know what its path is. It's not in the directory. <laughs> I was going to see how big it is. <laughs> I just don't know where it is. That's really funny. I'll have to, I'll have to find it. Oh, that's systemical. Wait, all right, so I made it, and then I put it somewhere, and now I don't know where it is.
1: So while Mark is searching his VM somewhere, you know, I think we can move on from that CF script topic. Yeah, I think and, so.
0: I think that makes sense.
1: Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a language that has its place and that has a lot of value at least for for me um sure you know if it could I don't know maybe it could do more you know maybe it could be a proper ECMAScript script compliant language or whatever but I think as it is now it solves a certain problem and it's doing that quite well from what I'm concerned I'd agree with that I'd agree with that that all sounds really good Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. What it, so, what's next?
0: What's next? Uh, let's let's round out our. Uh, uh, I'm getting. I'm <laughs> Kai's gone. What's next? And then I'm looking at the doc, and he's highlighted a whole section. Maybe we should talk <laughs> about that.
1: That's a subtle hint, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so glad I made that decision all on my own. <laughs> so, um. Uh, on our on our on the uh, on our site for for two dducom uh, we had a lovely comment that came up from a guy by the name of Brett. Um, I'll just read out the comment just because it's it's nice. He goes. Uh there's another developer from down under. Great show, guys. Thank you very much. Nice to, nice to get Thank that. Thank you. Yep. Um, as an isolated developer in a company, uh, I appreciate hearing about Confusion from a local perspective, which is good, kind of the point of what we're doing. Still interested to hear more about Mark's setup as a Linux guy in the CF world and if there's any benefit when it comes to Java slash other stuff he does as well. Keep up the good work. Thanks, B.
1: Cool. So, so should we talk about running CF on Linux and maybe Mac, like or running CF on not Windows?
0: Um, yeah, we can do that. I think probably also talk about um, just uh, setting up a development environment yeah. as well. I think which is probably I'm going. I'm going to guess it's probably more is his bent, but um, is what is more what I'm thinking. But yeah, we can go down that road. Obviously, you you run a Mac. We've talked about this before. You are uh, to, to the devil, which is okay. I don't, I don't blame you.
1: See at at the end of the day, it's it's just Unix. I'm, it's not the devil. It's it just has a devilish interface, but the core. that's oh, okay. right. The, <laughs> the core is Unix. It's all good. <laughs> no, I mean I I run all my stuff on a Mac. The only yeah. the the only purpose for me to run Windows is SQL Server, really, yeah, because that's what you know one of my large clients is using, and I use it as a database in a virtual machine and just connect it to my Cold server. And I think when you look at running ColdFusion as the server product on a Mac or on Linux, you'll probably find it's very similar at the end of the day.
0: Are because, you smack case sensitive?
1: Um, yeah. It, yes and no. You can, It depends okay. on how you run your file system, basically. Okay. You can run your file system case sensitive and not case sensitive. But, you know, I, I meant more like in terms of the um, the file system structure that you don't have drives, that you have a slash basically a root as a starting oh, yeah. point and that you have folders like opt or you know bin yep. and etc and all that stuff that normally yep. windows people look at it and say oh really what, what, what is it about actually you know, <laughs> where's my c drive I don't yeah, understand where's my c drive where's <laughs> program files uh,
0: yeah So but, it, okay. do you run now here's an interesting question right so do you run um, cf as like something you've installed on your laptop is that how you normally run cf
1: um, what so, do you mean?
0: I mean, is it installed sort of on your host? So, like, if you boot up OSX, does it oh, start yes. with it?
1: I do, it doesn't start with it. I started just, you know, with a little okay. command line command. I open Terminal, which is like a shell in OSX, and then I go... Either I go into my installation folder, which is usually as a multi-server in opt jrun 4 and then okay. start it with, a, with the script, or... On a on a Mac, I was running previous of this one. I just had a little icon on my desktop to double click it, and then I started. It started the server for me.
0: Yeah. So it's, this is this is where I think um, uh, this is, I, I do something probably a little bit more. In, I think interesting. I don't know if that's the right word, but a little bit different. Um, probably more because of my open source work more than anything else. I'm starting to think, but maybe not necessarily. Um, and this is where actually it's interesting. Where okay, so. Obviously, yes, yeah, so I've been running Ubuntu for several years now, and I really, really like it as an operating system. I just I think it's really handy. But um, coming to, I think coming to Linux, and probably if you're a Mac, you generally tend to have to run a Windows VM just for some things, if nothing yep. else. Um, I know in my particular case, I have to run Builder in a VM. Um, I actually don't hate it. It's not too bad. Um, for a while, I was running it just in full-screen mode. Now I've been using VMware uh, Unity. Which is actually quite nice. It's a seamless experience, and haven't really had any issue with it. Um, and so that's been that's been really good. Haven't had any problems with that. But because uh, because of my exposure to, to Linux and doing a lot of stuff with VMware, what I actually do is I run I run CF in VMs. So I install Ubuntu Server, which is pretty lightweight. Um, it's a really quite quite lightweight server. It's, I've, and, and running Ubuntu, so I've got familiarity there. I install the version of CF I want on that, and what I actually do is I have I have I have it set up so I have CF8 VM, I have CF9 VM and I have database VM and Mm -hmm. I keep all my source code local on my machine so what's often called a host machine in VM speak and I use what's called shared directories so basically that's how I get the code on, on the VM. I basically say take this directory and put it on this VM you know make it seamless between the two of them make it look like it's exactly the same thing and then that would make that normally like the web directory or something like that on CF, and that enables me to do some nice stuff when I'm doing open source stuff. I need to be able to test multiple versions of CF um, for different platforms, um, and but without having to drop a database in different places and do that sort of stuff, they can share a database. Um, you know, it means if I you know rebuilding a computer, I just start my VM, CF's right there, which makes life really easy. Um, so I do a lot of stuff with virtual machines. I, I really enjoy that that side of things, and I can set up an Ubuntu server VM in sort of half an hour now. You know. Um, which is really nice because the uh, the package management in in Ubuntu is fantastic. Um, if anyone's ever had a look at that, it's generally a case of they've they've got this system called apt. I um, Can't remember what if that even stands for anything. But you know, if I'm installing Tomcat, which is like I, something I did recently, I just go apt-get install Tomcat. And it goes off and it pulls it down from the repository and installs it for me and there it is and up and running. any updates come along, I get a notification saying, Hey, your software's been updated. You know. And that's for all my software in Ubuntu. That's not just a server thing, that's a desktop thing, which I think I think a lot of people could copy and emulate. I think it's one of the best things I've ever seen. And that's that's a real Debian thing, which is
1: Ubuntu's yeah. built on. My- um, it's awesome. I've got two, two ColdFusion servers running on Debian, basically, and I really like it. AP, you know, apt is a really yeah. nice tool to keep your installation up and running and, you know, up to date. I'm yeah, totally and it really- means you only
0: have one tool to, you know, maintain all your software, which is just, you know... You don't have to go to 17 different, you know, you're not, you're not looking at what is the latest Apache and then what's the latest 2S plugin, you know, and then the the 2S stuff will come up through Microsoft and the Apache stuff will come through different, you know, SQL Server will come through a different one. You got to keep track of it. You just go up to get upgrade, up to get update. Ooh, look, I've got everything. Sweet, done. You know, like that's, that's really good. And actually some of the, there's new stuff in, um, there's also some management tools for Ubuntu server as well, where it can like update itself automatically or just security hotfixes automatically, um which is really nice as well. And quite often in the Linux world, if you're installing that stuff, you don't need to restart, which is lovely.
1: Yep. Most of uh, the time, you don't have to Most of the time.
0: Yeah, if I'm getting a new kernel or a few other bits and bobs, but other than that, yep. shut down the program, start it up again, bing, done. Um, so yeah, there is there is a bit of pain, I guess, in terms of running Builder in a VM, um, but it's actually not too bad. I'm kind of used to it now. It's It's got its pros and cons in some ways. Um I and mean, yeah, I do a similar thing. I just share I just share code onto it using shared directories. Um I've been using VMware for a while as well. And that, no, you're using something.
1: Yeah, that's quite interesting actually. I mean I work pretty much exactly the other way around, really. Um for with one of my clients, I um have one VM which is actually called Fusion 8 and SQL Server on one in one Windows yep. server installation.
0: You have your code on there?
1: And I'm not coding in there. Uh, well, the code lives in the VM, basically. And yeah. then I share um, a few drives or a few a few directories yeah, via Samba to my Mac. Yep, yep. And then I code on OS X with Builder 2, basically. And yeah, so I've got, got up really like nice that, too. Thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I've got up like that, too. I've got a VM that's specific for a client as well, very specific environment with very specific stuff installed on it. And, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. Um it's shared, yeah, it's shared directories off that, which is via Samba as well, because we, it's, uh, actually, uh, I share it on there as via Samba, and if it's simple into server, so I can use um, SSH to share on there as well. Okay. Um, so I just mount that on my, on my machine. Um, though, actually, what's funny is, yeah, so locally, I access it through SSHFS, or SSH, I basically mount it um, through SSH, which is just a, a, a communication thing, much like Samba, like you'd have window sharing. Um, so locally on my, so on my, on my host, I do that so I can do all my Git commands, but using, um, my Windows VM that Builder's on, I access my code through that, through Samba. So I share it oh that way. So, the next yeah, so, so it's like, it's like, I've got this, I've got this VM that's my environment. I've got Builder that's running in another VM that's using Samba to access the code that way. And then I do all my Git commands by command line locally so I can use my, um, command line. And, um. So yeah, but it all works. It's great. It works perfectly. Um, And it's also been good having that sort of VM for team environment. So, you know, somebody comes on board, you just go, here's your VM. Boom. It's got your source code on it. It's got your database on it. It's got everything set up the way you need it. You don't have to go through anything. Yeah, that's a fair call. That makes sense. Yeah, which is really good too. Um, Though, yeah, if you don't have Linux experience with what we're doing, then it kind of makes things hard, but... Um, yeah the other thing I mean now that I've been on Linux for so long and I'm sure probably a lot of Mac people have said that, probably come up with the same thing the command line in Unix is so much more powerful than anything you'll find oh
1: totally you know and even if you if you have Sukwin on Windows it, it's not even really close the experience it's not bad but you know the experience of I don't know running it running a command line on an actual Unix system is so smooth yeah I agree and you know a lot of people in in the Windows world are usually, I don't want to say scared of the command line, but they don't value the command line. And I can totally see why. You know, yeah, if, if you just know the Windows command line, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to use that either. You know, so why would you? It's just terrible. <laughs>
0: basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, I, if I'm running, like say I've got this Windows VM for Builder, I have SigWin installed on it. Like um, for those who don't know SigWin, SigWin's a, what do they call it? Like a Unix emulator? Or had it,
1: I don't even know if it's an emulator or
0: or, or like it's a build for Windows, so yeah. it gives you it gives you a command line that um, that works. What do they? How do I want to call it? Um, uh, I don't even know. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could explain it. <laughs> So they call it a collection of tools which provide a Linux look and feel environment for Windows. I suppose that works. Um, so yeah. the, uh, which it's a DLL which acts as a Linux API layer, providing substantial Linux API functionality. Um, so I know in the past, for example, I think probably most people, some people might have actually done this without even realizing it. If you're using Git on Windows, one easy way of doing it is installing Sigwin and then installing Git through that. Um, I've done that before. It's just and you know you're using essentially a, a Linux command line, but um it works really well. I've had no problem with that. Um but yeah, there are some things missing from it. There's not everything there, but it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm happy that I have a proper shell on, yeah. on my Mac. And, I can, and uh, again, it's a funny thing, right? The you'll find that most Mac people wouldn't even touch Terminal, which is the Mac app that gives you the shell. Yeah. You know, terminal is some sort of the dark evil little thing which no one really knows how to operate. But yeah. it's so powerful. There's even, yeah. there's even actually a book from O'Reilly um, called some sort of, uh, you know, how to use the shell in macOS or terminal in macOS, which is a whole book just about the Unix shell, basically, that comes yeah. with macOS.
0: I have so many, like, little bash scripts for doing stuff. Like just little programs for doing all sorts of little things, like you know maybe deploying up to production using rsync or um, even though some of those should be ant tasks, but that's all right. Um, you know, just um, taking taking SQL files and converting them from one database to another. So just you know going through and using sed to to translate, you know, to switch switch a database name to another for something that I do all the time. Um, I've even got like little homemade scripts that I use for using like um Fmpeg or, you know, video converters for, yeah. you know, there's just so many things that I use on a day to day basis that I'm actually looking through them all. Um, just little, little things that I use all the time that are just so easy to write and, you know, you start using, you get into grep, and you get into curl, and you get into wget. You know, just doing things from the command line is so easy.
1: Yeah, going through um, your log files, for example, to find oh. something say, You know, where I don't want to have to open a, I don't know, let's say, 20 meg log file in a text editor, and then do a control F to yep. find something. I don't. It's just, like, so useless. You know, it's yeah. so much faster if you do just, like... Shoot out a command line, com- a command line, and you know get all the lines that match with a little regular expression, for example.
0: Yeah, I was trying to work out we're having um like the, you actually once you start getting into that stuff, you really understand why those tools were made because Linux is such a server like it was was such a, a strong server based environment for a lot of systems and going having those log files. I was looking for what was I looking for? Yeah, so we were having weird CPU spikes on um, a production machine at one point. It was really weird. We couldn't work out what was going on. We ended up nailing it down to the fact that. Somebody had left a CF dump in place somewhere without any sort of checking for whether it was debug mode, so oh, it wasn't displaying. Really? Yeah, it wasn't displaying. It but was, it was, it was
1: rend- rendering the dump yeah. somewhere internally.
0: Yeah, so it was inside a CF silent block or something like that, and so whenever it got hit, it was just like. Um, but anyway, trying to work out what it was was driving us nuts, and so I basically started, you know, let's grab all the access logs. You know, we start, you know, you're going through. You know, it was, a, you know, the, we could see this times it was happening. So, you know, I'd grab all the, the access logs in the last three days. And then, so, you know, what's an easy way of getting, you know, the access for particular timeframes? Yeah. You know, just that. And so, it's very easy. I grab it and push that to a file. You know, that's really easy to do from a command line. You yeah. know, it, having to do that in a Windows environment would probably be a little bit trickier. You know, there may be, you know,
1: I'm pretty tools. sure that there are tools that help you doing that type of stuff. Yeah. But then you need to find the tools, know how to use them yep. and install them. Yeah.
0: Whereas, you know, I can just go grep, open bracket, you know, the hour I'm looking for, you know, and then close that off and that's my regex and then point that at a file and say, shoot that out, brilliant, done. Um, you know, that, that can split out my log files into usable segments. You know, things like yeah. that. Just, and yeah, what, I really find, what I
1: find even even more powerful is the ability to chain those commands and to chain yeah, those exactly. outputs. You know, you can't just... It's not that you just would do, like, one thing, like take your log file, pass for a certain day yep. or hour, put that into a separate file. You could just chain another command to that right away. You know, that, yeah. you know, do sort it by day and then give me that hour or give me all requests coming from a certain IP range or something like that, basically. Yeah. And produce, or even like little things like, like you're like,
0: those is files? something running? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a common thing I come through all the time. So there's a command called ps, which, uh, what is that? I'm trying to think of what ps stands for. Ps gives you a, a report. Uh, process, process list, yeah. yeah. So you, you run ps, you tell it to give you everything, and you hand it over to grep and say, you know, go search for this string. You're sure. like, oh, that is running. Oh, that isn't running. Um, so that's you know stuff like that is is insanely powerful and very useful, but yeah, the issue that people I think are going to run more on, into more on Linux than they are on um, Mac is software support. You know, obviously Builder port doesn't run on a Mac. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Flex doesn't run on a Mac. You can there are some alternatives out there. Obviously, if you want to use C for Clips on Confusion or possibly you, IntelliJ did, for.
1: Did you just say Flex doesn't run on a Mac? It does. Sorry, you, you I mean on, on Linux. Linux.
0: i mean yes. on Linux. You're right. My bad. I so was both
1: Cross and Flex Builder and Flash Builder now run yeah. on a Mac fine. It's yeah, Mac and yeah, Windows, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, Mac and Windows. So that doesn't work on Linux, which is frustrating. Um, but you know, you have alternatives. There's CF Eclipse and and IntelliJ also do has a CFML plugin. I actually think is the better product, to be honest. But that's my personal opinion. Um, uh, if you're doing flex development, you could always use IntelliJ and possibly, I think, FDT also works on, on Linux. Or you look at running it in a VM. Um, you know, I, I run a particularly beefy machine. I run an Alienware gaming laptop, which is like quad-core and 8 gig of RAM. So you may not have that sort of performance at your fingertips, so you have to do that sort of stuff. But um, what else? I'm just thinking of the stuff I run in a VM just because I have to. SQL Server is an obvious one. Um, some Adobe tools, like if, very occasionally I touch things like Photoshop and whatnot. You know that goes in there. You know editing PDFs, things like that. Um, so there's that that I can I can often run VMs for, which I think you know it's it's kind of a given. Um, there's tools like Wine, which probably a lot of people know. Um, the professional version is called Crossover, uh, Crossover Office. Yep. Um, I use that a lot. I actually I bought a copy of that, and that's really great for a lot of little tools. I find that I've I've used um, installing IE. Um, so, things you, like that. Do
1: you know that you actually can also run macOS in a VM?
0: Yeah, I could do that. I don't know why I would.
1: Well, it probably would be a nicer experience for you if you wanted to do something like using Creative Suite. That's a, true. It's or you know have have a, have an operating system in a, in a VM that has a proper shell <laughs> in the first place.
0: <laughs> That's a fair cool. I can't I can't disagree with that. Um,
1: Yeah, Yeah, it still wouldn't give you stuff like SQL Server. You could, you you could run another VM in your VM or whatever. Um, But you know, like it, it gives you a lot of the tools you are actually missing um, on Linux in maybe a nicer environment than on on a Windows VM, and that's my personal opinion. Obviously, you might, you know, don't don't do that at home, kids, because obviously macOS in a VM is probably not supported officially
0: no it's not supported it's probably a little bit illegal too or well, depending on whose contract you, you read
1: yeah I'm not quite sure if it's illegal really and probably it depends on the country you're in as well yeah. um, but it's definitely well, you can't unsupported
0: buy, you can't buy a copy of X. sure can
1: you, you can buy yeah you go into an Apple store and you buy a DVD Okay. There you go. Mm. but it might be that you know it, that there is something in that shrink web like if you Rip off the plastic around it. You basically agree not to do that. I don't know. So yeah. and obviously okay. I've, I've never done that myself personally. It's just like an, a random idea I just came up with now.
0: Fair enough. That works. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but you
1: know, if, if it's if it's legal where you are, and if you have no problem with being unsupported, then that might be an interesting.
0: it might be an interesting thing to look into actually it's actually more i think about it maybe um because mac does have some cool tools in terms of um uh like graphing things and all sorts of other odds and ends that are that are quite nice but i don't know i have this as as well people probably know who have met me i have this weird i don't know if weird's the right word but i don't like putting money in apple's pocket if i can avoid it i don't like the way they do business uh but that's 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 a long held position. Possibly so, a little bit obstinately so.
1: Did you ever own um an iPod?
0: Yeah, see, I owned an iPod. I owned an iPod. I've lost my iPod actually. It was around somewhere, which is actually annoying. It's got a bunch of music on it that I don't think I have anymore <laughs> But um Yeah, no, I I I I it wasn't like a I don't want to use the term bandwagon, but it wasn't like the same sort of thing is, a lot of people, when it sort of happened a little later, it was, it, like, I, I didn't mind Apple at all. Um, and I could I know exactly when it happened. Basically, the first, I, I, the iPhone came out. Um, and I was traveling to the U.S. for a holiday, I think, with my wife. or my, Not then wife, but my now wife. And I was like, cool, I'm in the U.S., I'll pick up a, an iPhone, you know, and cheap, you know, that'll be great. And I'll bring it back home, and that'll be awesome, blah, blah, blah. Thinking, it's going to be like any other product. I want it, I go pay money, I buy it, I take it home, right? Ah. And so I go into the store and I'm like, so can I get an iPhone? Or it that work? And they're like, actually, no, you can't have an iPhone without a contract. I'm like, what? What do you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, what? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and I was like, well, I live in Australia and I want to, you know, take one home because I think it's a really cool piece of kit, and you know, that would be really cool. And they're like, no, you can't do that, not without a contract. Um, and we got to sign you in for contract for however many months it was and all that sort of stuff. And I just went, I really don't like that, <laughs> quite frankly. And then from, you know, around that sort of point, I was like, ah, oh, this is just kind of frustrating and I don't, I don't, I don't, like I get why they're doing what they're doing and um, I understand it's their business model and that sort of stuff. And I don't think it's necessarily evil. I just, you know, we in the same like way, and I just don't I really yeah. like it. You know, it's, it's like closed communities, uh, you know, nice clean places to live and everything's hunky-dory in that, but, you know, I, it's not really the sort of environment I particularly like for myself, so... <laughs>
1: It's it's quite interesting, right? Because when you I, I I'm not even quite sure if that particular issue you raised with you know not being able to get an iPhone easily back in the day, yeah. if that's an issue with Apple or maybe an issue with US mobile networks, to be honest. Because well, when you look at you know some less. of some of the, the, the new phones and tablets coming out, um, you know, on Android, on um the the RIM tablet and all that stuff at yeah. Blackberries you always find that in the U.S., they are locked down totally, and they not are pretty not all much, the time. Not not all the time, but it's a yeah. very very common thing to do. It's like, a very common thing, and but you it, can
0: like you can go to websites in the U.S. and all that sort of stuff. Now, like if you want to get a, a you know completely free Zoom tablet or something, I think that, actually no, the the phone carrier one hasn't really come out yet. But you but, know but you can there you, are ways of there
1: there are ways, but it's not as easy as you know going into a random store and buying a phone, right? And then yeah. I think we are maybe just a little bit spoiled from that point of view because at least here in, in New Zealand, it's actually illegal to lock yeah, phones. Yeah, here too. Yeah, so, here you here know, to. when Vodafone introduced the iPhone 3 here, basically, which was the first international iPhone, mm. um, they offered it with a contract and they basically restricted the amount of phones you could buy without signing for a contract, which is something they could do legally. Um but if you have an iPhone, it's not locked. You can do it whatever you like. You I can run to, it in yeah. any other country. I can, you know, put another SIM in New Zealand in there. Whatever I like to do. Basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it's like nowadays, it's not really an issue. If you want to get an unlocked iPhone, you can do that. I mean, that's 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 possibly an option. But it just yeah, it put a bad taste in my mouth, and I didn't I didn't really like it. And just some of the stuff that's obviously gone on with the App Store and and the lack of transparency there, which has gotten better, which has gotten better, you know, as of late. But Back in the day, you know, it really it really wasn't a very transparent process, um, which I thought, you know, as a software developer, I just don't like companies that are essentially screwing software developers. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I just it was a personal decision. I said, look, at the end of the day, if I put money in their pocket, that means I'm I'm basically approving of their business practices, um, and I don't particularly like their business practices. So yeah, a fair money where mouth is. Yeah, pretty much, plain and simple.
1: What made you um, go to Linux in the first place? I mean, at true. some stage, you must have made a decision to move away from whatever you were using before, probably Windows. Windows.
0: What's Windows? Um, that's a really good decision. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I think I just wanted to try it out. I think more than anything else, I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds like a bit of fun. Windows is, just, you know, it's Windows, you know, it works, but it's nothing particularly fantastic. Um, I'd always had a sort of interest in, in Linux, and, you know, I like to tinker with stuff, and it's always good fun, and... I think I just kind of got into it and went, this is awesome. Like, I, I actually, in all honesty, out of any operating system I've ever come across, I just, I've just i just fell in love with, with Ubuntu and um, just fell in love with the stuff you can do with it. And I just, I find I'm a lot more productive on it uh, for a variety of reasons. And I just thought, it's, this is a really well-made operating system. I think it's just better than anything else I've ever used.
1: See, I had exactly so. the same experience, basically. I, I can pretty much remember what triggered me to say right you know i'm totally fed up with windows this is not going to happen i'm going to buy a mac pretty much right yeah. now that was like it was like in june or july 2007 basically yeah. i was working on a windows xp laptop doing some ColdFusion fusion work and it was so frustrating because the machine was totally clogged up with you know virus scans and oh, yeah. this and that and then windows wasn't running properly and it didn't boot properly and it's like really do i need to go through that and i basically um <laughs> You know, a few friends of mine had Apple laptops at the time and I just yep. thought, no, nah, I give that a try. So I bought my first MacBook Pro and it arrived. I set it up and it was a productivity gain of yep. an you know, incredible amount. It's like, oh, it just works, you know, it's like <laughs> you set up everything and it works. You don't have to to fight your computer every day to make it work. It just works. Yep. It was actually that interesting that um I had my MacBook Pro for about a week and then my wife said I want one. I'm not yep. going to stick with that Windows laptop. Um I want one too because she yep. saw how how well it worked for me basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like you know a week later we <laughs> ordered another one, well which a MacBook for her basically, but you know yep. you get the idea. And you know since then I've I've always stayed on um on Mac and I'm totally happy with that choice. It just works for me. That's good. That's and fair. I you know, I... I totally acknowledge that some of Apple's business practices might, you know, offend some people or might be annoying for some people, and I agree with that. Yep. But at the end of the day, the decision I need to make is um what makes me productive? Fair enough. Right? And that is just macOS at this stage. You know, it might I don't know, maybe in a in a year or in five years it's a totally different ballgame. No idea. But at this time, it's just what you know, makes my boat float, basically.
0: That's fair enough. I can respect that. I don't have a problem with that. Um, yeah, it's like I said. It's like the, the, the Apple thing. It's my, my personal opinion. I don't, I don't try and push it onto other people, even though I might try and convert some people if I can. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I'm not proselytizing or anything. But, yeah, I think actually I was actually re- remembering and um, I think what happened is I had a laptop, which is actually sitting right next to me right now, an old laptop, and uh, a hard drive died on it. So I was like, oh, well, I'll have to reinstall everything anyway. I was like, all right, well, let's stick Ubuntu on there and see what happens. Never really looked back, but that was that. Um, I think it's still running, the same version of Ubuntu I probably installed on it like three years ago, which is quite funny.
1: Do you ever shut down your, window, your laptop or do you just hibernate it?
0: Um, ugh. there are some bugs that I have in Linux on my laptop that probably don't really like me. I could hibernate it, but if I wanted to, it could work, but I have, I've have certain issues with, with my laptop, um, which is always an issue when I always get like ridiculously cutting edge laptops with, you know, gaming laptops and stuff. So to find Lin- driver
1: support for Linux basically.
0: Yeah. It's not really drivers. It's normally more, oh, sometimes drivers, sometimes drivers. Um, but it's normally more just weird and wonky bugs. Like I've got some kind of weird monkey bugs on on my Alienware with um, shut up, start up and shut down with with my power cables inserted or not. It's really quite strange. Uh, <laughs> basically, what happens is if I've got if I unplugged my power cable and then I plugged it back in, when I boot up Linux, it'll crash sometime during like the first ten minutes or so. But that that if,
1: sounds like, you know, one of those things. If the moon is in a certain constellation yeah. to the Earth. Oh, no,
0: it's, it's completely you know? <laughs> reproducible. It's completely, it's really weird. Um, but the second time, any subsequent time, as long as the power cable stays plugged in, it's fine. No problem at all. Um, if I boot up into Windows first, that's fine as well. And I think it's probably got something to do with the fact that my laptop does a lot, being a ridiculously beefy laptop, it does a lot of power-saving stuff if it finds its on battery power.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I have a feeling what happens is it... it um. It, it switches up some stuff internally and that's not really well supported on Linux. So, like, if I pull out my power cable on my laptop, the thing crashes because it just it does a whole bunch of, like, CPU throttling and, and oh, starts cool. switching out my graphics cards on the fly and doing things like that, which the Windows drivers support quite nicely, but the Linux ones don't. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, you get into some some fun stuff that way. Um, but otherwise, but the thing I actually love about Linux probably more than anything else is the community. Yeah. Um, the the Ubuntu community is huge. If you have a bug or if there's an issue that's showing up, you you know, it's like ninety nine percent chance that you can find a workaround or you know, you'll you'll get on a forum and say, you know, how do I do this? or even just find. You'll find that people have already hit the issue and there's blog posts up there about, you know, hey, look, this is happening to me too. This is how you get around it, you know, this is how you manually install a driver. Um, okay. you know, like all that sort of stuff. When I first uh, I've got an Alienware M17X. Um, When I first bought that, you know, you had to install, you know, sound stuff manually because that was the only way you were going to get sound. It wasn't really well supported in the version of Ubuntu that was out. You know, there were like 17 blog posts on how to do that. So there's always, there's always a way, there's always a, you know, whereas obviously in Windows, you know, you're locked down, that's it, you're screwed, you know, that's that's it, something goes wrong. <laughs> you might find a workaround, might rot, you know, with you know with something like, I'm probably sure it happens on Mac as well, you know, you can take individual components like networking and restart those just without having to restart the whole machine, you know, things mm-hmm. like that, which you can do on Windows to a degree uh, if you know where to find them in the services and stuff. But, you know, things like that are just really nice. So. Yeah,
1: totally, I like totally with you. Well, I've, I mean, I sleep or hibernate my laptop most of the time, actually. I
0: Macs do that really nicely. Yeah, I, have to, and I, pro-
1: I probably reboot my Mac every 40 to 50 days or something like that. Okay. And it's usually driven by some software update, which requires the reboot. Yep. But, you know, normally um, it's just fine. I have one issue that is also reprodu- reproducible. When I plug in a certain type of... USB hard drive with a FAT32 partition on it. Sometimes uh-huh. that drive will not unmount properly. Okay. And I have no idea what exactly it is. It must be something in, you know.
0: You should be able to kill the um, the mount process, which should kind of kick yeah. it off.
1: No, it does, I, I've tried that. I, do, I did a kill minus nine, you know, and tried yeah, everything. Yeah. It doesn't go away, basically. And in those instances, <laughs> the only way to get rid of that problem is to reboot the, the machine, actually. Okay. So I got, you know, I worked around by that, by um, reformatting all my hard drives, which which had a FAT32 partition, which is bad anyway, to have a proper um, Mac OS Partition. Okay, that works. And yep. then, you know, problem disappeared, basically.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, I tend to format stuff to be X-T4 in a lot of places yep. and stuff like that, too. So, that's so I, all I good. pretty
1: much now use FAT32 for USB sticks, and that's really it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. All my hard drives are ext 4 I think even a lot of my USB sticks, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it keeps permissions and stuff across, you know. Yeah, but, you well, know, it's obviously hard to share stuff with people.
0: Why do you want to share stuff with people? That's ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> no, that's true. No, that's um, all fine.
1: That brings up one interesting question I wanted to ask you, actually. Oh, yeah. Um Do you have multiple computers or do you have just your main laptop and everything on virtual machines on your laptop or on an external hard drive?
0: I have my main laptop and that's all on my hard drive. Um, that was, that's actually an interesting question. So I actually used to have an external hard drive that had all my VMs on it um, because it's better for performance because you don't yep. get that IO that's bot on it. That's
1: what I'm doing as well.
0: Um, but I just found that was to set up to do work was just so difficult and painful. (laughs) that it was like, here's my laptop. Now I plug in my external hard drive. Now I get to work, you know? (laughs) It was Um, was just getting really difficult. So I actually ended up moving... I think my external hard drive died. So I ended up moving everything onto my actual hard drive on my laptop. Now, I get some performance issues sometimes if I'm, like, defragging one of my VMs or, Mm -hmm. like, when they boot up, like, things will slow down. But generally speaking, it's actually not too bad. So I've kind of gone in the way of conven- it's convenient to have them all on my hard drive on my same computer so I don't have to plug things in. Um, I've gone that way rather than having the external now because i just find it's just so much more convenient to be able to go okay, set up enough. Builder, yeah. especially when I'm running things like Builder and it's just local. I'm like, just start it up. Just do it.
1: Yeah. What, um, what I find a little bit annoying with my external hard drive is obviously when you're not at home because at home I have yeah, a, some sort of exactly. a stationary de- yeah. setup anyway. But, you know, when you're, I don't know, sitting on the couch or sitting on a train or in the plane and you have yes. to dangle with your hard drive, that's a little bit annoying. That's what I pain. would really want to get at some stage is probably a... Um,
0: Second internal hard drive?
1: Or no, an external SSD drive. Because oh, yeah. then at least you, you know, don't have that issue of your hard drive falling off your lap or off your knee or something like that. It doesn't really hmm. matter then, you know, it, the, yeah, the mechanical yeah. problem is Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. I was actually thinking it would be really nice if I just had... Like a, well, actually, I've got two hard drives in, in this machine anyway, but they're, they're rated one together, mm-hmm. um, which mitigates some issues as well. But yeah, if there was a third hard drive in there that was completely separate from my operating system and everything else, yeah. and I just use that for VMs, so that would mitigate the issue. And then I don't know, I have c- complete convenience, but my laptop doesn't have enough room for
1: that. Okay, so let me come back to my original question or the, no, oh, the, yeah? the, the question I wanted to ask. <laughs> if you had multiple computers, right, because I have multiple <coughs> Macs, Yep. and I'm looking for a good solution to sync them. Oh, cool. or n- not to sync them completely, obviously, but you know to sync some directory structures, let's say. So and I'm looking into certain ways at the moment, right? One is obviously Dropbox, which yep. everyone seems to use, and Dropbox is fine, and um, even does local network sync, which is cool because yep. I don't need to you know upload it to the server and you know then download it again. Yep. I Basically, upload it once, and then my other machine can grab it locally because it knows where it got it from. Yep. Um, the problem with Dropbox is everything has to be in the Dropbox folder. Yeah, and that's really annoying. Oh, it does because, it? Yeah, does because it? the Dropbox folder lives in my user directory, and I want to, you know, pick and choose a bunch of folders and sync them. Uh... So I found another tool called Sugar which yep. allows exactly to do that, and it t- the tool looks great, but it doesn't have an option to sync locally. Which means, like, if I sync, whatever, 20 gig or something like that, it all has to go, you know, to the network and then back again, which is right. really annoying, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that's, the, that's where yeah, I am. We, I'm, I'm really the looking canonical,
0: hmm? The canonical guys from Ubuntu have a service called Ubuntu 1, which works very much like Dropbox. Um, but I don't know if there's a Mac client.
1: You know, um, I'm I'm happy to pay for it. That's not really a problem at all, and to pay for storage and for a good syncing service. But I'm just struggling to find something that fulfills all my requirements, and I'm I wonder like, is it so unusual that you have multiple machines you want to sync, you, that you want to choose your folders, and that you want to have the option of syncing locally if you can, as well as to the cloud. Ah,
0: uh, okay. So Ubuntu, uh, yeah. So I'm. I, I signed up for an Ubuntu 1 account just because, you know, you get 2GIG free. I don't really use it for very much except for backup of some contacts and stuff. But locally, you can pick and choose which folders you want to be synced. Um, Oh, apparently it's a public folder in Ubuntu (laughs) 1. I don't ever use it for anything, to be honest, which is really quite funny. Um, But there's a beta of a Windows package, but not a Mac one.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, anyway, no. if any of the listeners of this has an idea of a service that does what I need and want, um, please let me know or let us know in a comment or something like that. i would really appreciate it. Yeah, I could do rsync. Okay, fair enough. But then Wait, I, I <laughs> still don't have a proper cloud backup or cloud synchronization yeah, exactly. mechanism. Um, or I could build one myself, but then it's like, really? Uh,
0: what do you use for backup?
1: Um, I use local backups, Time Machine. You don't it. do anything in the cloud? I'm not doing anything in the cloud. I'm doing, at the moment, I want to, um, I'm doing on-site and off-site backup. So I've got like multiple, well, not 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 many, but like three different hard drives. And oh, I've am. got one ongoing, Time Machine 1. Um, I've got two more for um, complete backups, which I do in every so-and-so many days or weeks and then store them somewhere else.
0: Okay. Yeah, I use, um, I use a service called CrashPlan.
1: Yeah, I've heard that actually.
0: Um, which I really, really like. It can be, I found in a few places, a bit processor intensive at times. Um, but what I like about CrashPlan is they give you a client. Um, I think I'm paying, it's it's ridiculous. I think I paid like 150 bucks for a couple of years for unlimited online data. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, the client also allows you to sync either locally, i will handle that handle locally, you can also sync to, like, another friend running CrashPlan, so if you want to do it across the network all the way out that way. Um, oh,
1: and that other friend could be another laptop, obviously.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it could be another laptop. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in your house, it could be over the internet
1: somewhere. That looks you know, actually interesting.
0: It does, it. yeah, it does. it. You know, it, so you end up with just sort of a folder, um, you know, you can have multiple destinations, and friends, computers, folders, you know. Um, you can actually back up to, apparently, other online parties, which I don't I've never actually looked at too much um, but yeah I actually I, I love it I actually really love it it's fantastic so I do I do it an online and then I do a local to my, my local NAS so that I have both best of I'm both I'm actually
1: worlds. just looking at the website I think that's you know I, and I've never seen them before I mean I looked at a whole bunch of back in, backup and, and sync services but I didn't come across yeah. them actually I don't think they do sync I think you'll find that
0: there's, there'll be an issue there but they do do backup mm,
1: okay I need to yeah have a look
0: so, I didn't see it. it's, a Java, it's a Java client. So it runs on anything.
1: Yeah, I see that they have a, disp- uh, a Mac on. Well, no, it lo- yeah, it looks to be a Mac on their homepage actually. So, well, actually, so, it's it's not a Mac. It's it's a random computer that looks like a Mac and has a Mac OS background image, which is odd.
0: <laughs> but yeah, basically, if you're if you're a business, you buy their home package and then pay like. I don't know another fifty bucks or something to to say. Hey, look, boom! You're now you're now business. Nah, okay, whatever. They don't cool. care.
1: Yeah, I'll give that a try. Alrighty, that was a yeah totally unplanned excursion into sinking All in sorts backup. Of stuff. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's a good we are nearly Come. done, aren't we? Yeah. Did we want to talk about that one last thing before we? Uh, yes. Continue on? Okay, so uh, uh, am I? Am I starting this? I guess I'll start this.
1: You start this, yes.
0: I'll start this. So there's there's been a bit of a kerfuffle uh, recently in the, uh, that's a nice the open word. source. <laughs> oh, that's a good word. I like kerfuffle, um, kerfuffle around some shenanigans, <laughs> <laughs> in the coal fusion community about whether open source developers should ask for donations. Uh, primarily started by a blog post by uh, Peter Farrell. Um, I think for for the sake of, of tact and diplomacy. Um, and I think Peter's probably borne the brunt of, of some very upset people about what he said. I'm not gonna to go too deeply into what what at least I think came across in, in his blog post um and and whether or not he intended to say it the way he was meant to attempt to say it. So all benefit of the doubt there. Um if you're if you're looking for it, have a look for a blog post called Dear Open Source Developers. And uh it discusses whether or not open source developers should be asking for donations or wish list items or anything like that. Now to put a proviso on everything I'm saying, I've always put up a "if you want to donate, please feel free" uh, button on all my open source stuff. Um, honestly, I've never really seen a big, huge problem with that. If people want to donate, great. If they don't, um, that's up to them as well. Um, I generally tend to get maybe a few hundred dollars sort of every year, which is really nice, and it's just pays for nice, the
1: hosting or something.
0: Pay for, yeah, pay for the hosting. You know, helps me out when I fly to conferences and stuff. Um, but there was, a, I think, I think a, a nice response from uh, Scott Strohs, um, which he basically says, dear open source developers, do whatever it is necessary to keep producing badass software, <laughs> which I think, I think, um, I think the, the sentiment that, that Peter was possibly trying to put across, which was basically saying, hey, you know, if you're an open source developer and you're asking for donations, maybe instead push donations to charity, which I think is a, is a good sentiment.
1: It's definitely um, a good idea, and his one of the arguments he made is saying, um, "We are as software developers probably reasonably advantaged or well off compared to a lot of other people." And you know, he has a point with that totally. If, maybe, it,
0: but, you, but no, if you, actually, if I, you, say, I say maybe if you are.
1: Well, well maybe if you are right. Yeah, but you know, like if you if you can afford it, um, donate to charities. Totally, you know, donate to. Christchurch earthquake victims to yep. Japanese earthquake and tsunami victims. There is a lot of there are a lot of opportunities and a lot of good causes actually you can donate money to. But yep. what I you know when I read his blog post, it has some sort of the I don't know the impetus of saying if you if you're an open source developer and you don't do that, that's wrong.
0: It's I not, think that was the way a lot of people took that's, it. I, that's I, how how I read it
1: personally, and yeah. I'm not I'm saying it very clearly. I'm not sure if that's what he intended to say, but that that's how it came across to me, basically. Fair enough. And I think that's where he is wrong from, from my point of view. If you are an open source developer and you ask for donations, or you ask for, you know, you have a wish list on Amazon, that's totally legitimate. I have yeah. no problem with that at all. You know, maybe you, get a, maybe you get nothing. Maybe you get a few hundred dollars. Maybe you become rich. Whatever. I don't, I, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, really, now, I don't care. You know because I'll,
0: I'll, I haven't discussed this with you, Kai, but I'll put that out there. Peter, if you want to come on, on the podcast and have a chat about it, more than happy to have you on. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, would love to talk about it and talk about open source in general. Obviously, we've, we've all got a long history of doing stuff like that. So, put that, put that out there if, uh, if that's something you want to do. Why not? Yeah. That's totally I really fine.
1: totally agree. Yeah. You're... Um, because that'd, be a, be,
0: that'd be a very interesting conversation, if nothing else, about open source theory and, and um, motivations and all sorts of fun stuff that way. Yeah, and I
1: mean, that's the thing. A lot of people have different motivations, right? You um, might want to do open source just because you built something, you want to share it, and you, you know, can't be bothered to support it in a way that you want to make it a commercial product. So yeah. put it out there. If people want to take it and run with it, fine. Or you have a business model, you know, you provide your software as open source yeah. and you sell the support or you sell training or whatever, you know, whatever you could do to get some revenue from that. And there are so many different motivations that I think it's really hard to put them all under one umbrella of, yeah, you that. know, don't ask for donations, but donate or, you know, ask people to donate to a charity. So, yeah. it's, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's hard. I personally don't agree with what he, what I read from his blog post. But, you know, I I don't want to get into a warfare with, no, you know, gazillions just... of blog posts and comments and where people got enraged. It's just not necessary. We're, we're such a small okay. community let's not fight about stuff like that. You know, it's like everyone has a right to his or her opinion. And, you know, I just disagree with what he said in the blog post.
0: That's fair enough. I think, I think I like, I like um, Scott's perspective, which is pretty much, you know, do whatever it is you want to do. You know, if you're giving stuff away for free, then it's kind of your prerogative. And, and, you know, you should, you should be energized and excited about giving away stuff rather than trying to worry about whether or not, you know, you fit into a certain mold and all that sort of thing, which I don't think people want to necessarily always be doing, which, so, yeah, I want to reiterate that, you know, if you've got something that you want to put open source, put it out there, man. Just put it out there and see what happens. Um, It's exciting. It's fun. You'll learn things. You know, it's great. There's so many different open source models I've seen out there. I mean, there's so many projects that ask for donations. I mean, even with, like, big donate buttons, I use an open source um, book uh, for, for, like, my Kindle and stuff like that uh, called Calibre, um or caliber which probably is probably actually how it's, spelled. it's pronounced i mean they have they have a big red heart that flashes at you every time it opens saying please donate to this project you know which i think you know what i didn't pay for it you know i'm quite happy to have that in my face i don't mind hell you know i, I probably wouldn't be upset oh, i might be a little upset if they put ads in it but you know what if they put ads in it and then they had a version of it that was like no ads I'd be yeah. like fair enough um, FileZilla asks for donations um, also seen models there's a there's a library I used Antler which I've probably talked about in a few places another tool for language recognition yep. I use for language parsing it's
1: basically Pretty much a compiler generator at the end of the day isn't it?
0: yes yeah, so, well it's a language parsing toolkit yeah so for, for syntactical parsing and stuff yeah. like that um, which is fantastic I use it for a lot of things um, he basically runs on the model I'm going to build this thing for free and give it away but the online documentation. I'm not really. He does some work in the online documentation, but not a whole lot. It's more like if you want the documentation, you have to buy the book, and the book's like thirty bucks, which is fair enough. But you know what? Fair call. He's giving stuff away for free. Good on him. The community can build up the online documentation, which they do. Um, he puts some stuff in there as well. But you know, without the book, it's going to make life hard for you. Yep. Um, and that's you know what? That's cool too. You know, I'll pay thirty bucks for something that is just amazing. Like I could. There's stuff that I could never have written if I didn't have Android. Um so you know what I think there's there's no one true way with open sources. There's so many different models, um, and it really boils down to whatever keeps you motivated and keeps you going. You know, the, the stuff that you know, if I get a donation, a it makes me feel really good, um, and b it generally goes to a video game or two. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> I don't I don't put up an Amazon wishlist item because, quite frankly, to send stuff to to Australia is like thirty bucks, so it kind of defeats the purpose. Um, so that's that's normally sort of how that that tends to pan out
1: can i give you a quick hint on that actually if you um order with amazon in germany amazon.de which also has english books you know it's not that they are limited basically you get um worldwide flat rate shipping
0: Ah, that's what
1: we usually do if we want to get german print books for example we just order them and if you order like whatever 20 books with a few people or something like that yeah yeah and yeah. even if they have to ship like five packages because they are you know not available at the moment and they are delayed or whatever they just charge you whatever 10 euros for the whole shipment and not per not additional money per book
0: that's pretty good i tend to buy most of my books now on my kindle or yeah i mean d- i do the same e- but you know it e- is
1: so it's it's a recommendation for the people who still order print books that's <laughs> All <laughs> well, eyes,
0: the <laughs> <laughs> What are they thinking? <laughs> no, don't mean that. Um, <laughs> no, that's all fair enough. But um, yeah, actually, at some point, maybe we should have a, a discussion about writing open source software because it's it's one of those things that I really enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, that sounds um, interesting.
0: Yeah, that's all good. But um, yeah, I think that does that. I think that wraps everything up from what we wanted to talk about today.
1: Yeah, it pretty much does.
0: Um, I put a quick call out to say, please put comments on our blog. Um, yes, we appreciate
1: we, comments a lot.
0: Yes. Because it gives uh, us feedback. It gives us feedback. And as you can see, as, as Brett sent us a comment, we talked about it for off and on for maybe about an hour. Um, so, if there's stuff you want to talk about or, or things you're interested in, you want to see, hear our opinion on, you know, send us a comment, send us an email. Um, please do. It's it's really good. Uh, we got a lot of feedback on our first podcast and not as much on the other ones, but um yeah, please, please, please give us some feedback. That's great. Really, really like it. Cool. Um, do we have any announcements, events, jobs, anything like that? I don't think I know of
1: anything, actually. Um, I don't know of anything at the moment. I, In general, if you are a Flash platform, in particular Flex developer, I know that there are a bunch of open jobs in Auckland and in Wellington at the moment. So if you live in New Zealand and you you know, have that skill... Then um, let me know. I can hook you up with a few people.
0: Fair enough. I saw something uh, recently posted um, in Sydney CBD at Learnocity. Um Actually, it's coming straight. Was from it now. a
1: ColdFusion architect role?
0: It was a web application developer, junior to mid-level.
1: Okay, that's a
0: do- Yeah, process. I've seen.
1: Yeah. I've seen another one, um, which is a ColdFusion Fusion architect role, and oh. that is actually with Gruden. Oh Here's yeah, that'd name. be a good job, yep. that'd be
0: good fun They're, they're a good crew um, I did find it interesting actually, it's a web application developer junior to mid-level and then it's, it's we need someone who can cut code with the best in the world Not quite sure how that works to junior to mid-level with that um,
1: yeah, yeah, I don't know Some, Is it an agency?
0: asking? Uh, well no, it actually it's the, the email comes straight from uh, send your resume to info at com. No okay. agencies please so mm. I thought that was a bit interesting, but they are saying you know one to three years of programming experience. So I'm guessing what they're it's probably maybe to say a bit,
1: is, maybe a bit more of an intermediate than a junior, actually.
0: Maybe or someone who's just really really passionate.
1: Yeah, which could is well fine be.
0: about what they do. Um, or thinks they're a bit hot in what they're doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. All right. I think that that's about everything. That's pretty much it for today. So have a good weekend, everyone, and um. Tune in again in about 10 days to two weeks or so. Sounds good. Cool. Wonderful. Bye-bye. <laughs> See I'll talk to you later. <laughs> See you later. Bye.